It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook, and the gorgeous, the former... <laughs> <laughs> I get very excited whenever I see him. Um, the former Chelsea, Benfica, West Ham, Charlton left back, 1997 FA Cup winner and model for next. It's Scott Minter. This is what's coming up on the show. Spurs, Man City. The fixture that conjures up high drama as a main course. We're in the 88th minute, De Bruyne, another in-swinger, goalkeeper is there and has pushed it down to Nathan Ake. The hoodoo on this ground, surely about to be ended. Caught into the penalty area, they've scored again! The FA Cup is casting its magical spell. This is amazing. It's Witchtown 1, Maidstone United 2. And it's tucked in by Corey Woodrow to win the cup tie for Luton Town. Newcastle with a 2-0 lead, and they're heading through to round five. Now Cunha, a long ball forward for him into the penalty area, fires it in low, and that settles it. But sadly, this is a day which will not be remembered for the goals or the football. Header in from Gravenberg, right at the end. Liverpool have five. And they're into round five. Rasmus Hoyland from close range. They're going to win it. It won't be a shock. Newport will leave the cup. Heads out high. Great cup tie. Newport County two. Manchester United four. Hello, everyone. Yes, off he, uh, no Premier League this weekend, uh, so plenty of action from the FA Cup. I, I know, Crook, that you were otherwise engaged on Sunday, weren't you? You were you were doing primetime television, Dancing on Ice. I was. I was stepping into your uh, your skating shoes. Uh, don't yeah. think I got us fired, so uh, all good. Well done. Well done, well done. Sorry, Sam, do you two come as a package in everything? So not just in football, <laughs> but in entertainment as well. Absolutely. Uh, Scott, um, but um, what the problem is is that I think he's actually gone a little bit over um, my head here and, and become cheesier than I am, uh, which is <laughs> on the evidence of Sunday night that that is a qualification that now he has the cheesiest man. Scandalously uh, anyway. Yeah, well, I don't even know what that is, but anyway, it must be sent to do Charlie <laughs> in the Chocolate Factory. I'm guessing uh, it was when he attempted to do the Austin Powers thing that uh, really caused concern for most of the UK, actually. Um, because it was it was quite creepy. Rather than sort of Austin Powers, it was <laughs> kind of a little bit like, uh, well, no, listen, listen, why don't you just do it for us and then we can all decide for ourselves. Yes, yes, we can do it for us. 
It's very early in the morning to pull it out again, but I think it was something like, oh, behave. Yeah, really creepy. I was right first time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Not much transfer news knocking around, so we're going to look back on some of the big games, and there were some big games this weekend. Um, I did um, Manchester City Friday night. I did um, West Brom on Saturday. You were at Charlton, weren't you, at the weekend? I saw Scott as well. And you did Chelsea Aston Villa as well. So we're getting to all of that. Because that Chelsea Aston Villa game, that's going to a replay. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. I, mean, I doubt Villa really wanted a replay, bearing in mind that their commitments in the in the in the conference league. And Chelsea with the cup final coming up as well, and having had those two-legged semi-finals as well, probably don't want one either. Uh, let's uh, talk, first of all, though, about the two Manchester Giants starting off on Friday night at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Spurs Man City, the fixture that conjures up high drama as a main course. Two teams now, we know exactly the way that they play. They'll take risks, they'll take chances, they'll play in areas that others wouldn't dream about. But that's what they do. Walker plays it in. It's a good save, but Bob will be able to follow up and put it in. But the flag's up against it. Van der Ven looks, looks like he's playing him onside. Very, very close. Fulton is about to signal. Oh, he's offside. Doesn't yeah. count. Wow. Entertaining nil-nil. If you can find the net first, particularly, I feel, for the home team, particularly for Spurs, if they can make the breakthrough, it'll be huge for them. It's a good a ball, ball for Johnson. Oh. And the goalkeeper got there second, but he did really well. Activity on the City bench, Jim. Yep, Cavalry's coming. Doku and Kevin De Bruyne. One. Oh. oh, given away. Foden, it's De Bruyne! And he's put it wide. Wow. If you want that to drop to one man on the field, it's Kevin De Bruyne, that chance. We're in the 88th minute. De Bruyne, another in-swinger. Goalkeeper is there and has pushed it down to Nathan Ake. They're hoodoo on this ground. Surely about to be ended. City are the supermen and they are through to round five. So Tottenham's trophy cabinet is going to stay bare again because they wave goodbye to the FA Cup. Did they give it enough of a go, Scott? Because they, well, the truth is, is they didn't really test the goalkeeper. No, they didn't. And, you know, just looking at the stats, I'm not all about stats, obviously, but 18 shots to one and five on target to one. You know, it it does suggest that, um, I think just, I think it does suggest as well that even if it's the game's level, Manchester City is so good in terms of having possession on the ball, both defensively and offensively. Um, Look, you know, it's one of those games, we talked about it beforehand, that, you know, Tottenham have got this great record against Manchester City. Well, it had to end at at some time. You you could turn around and say that they should have dealt with the goal better um, and therefore taken it back to the Etihad. But look, City were in full control of this game. And as you say, Spurs didn't really lay a glove. That was a point of contention, wasn't it, afterwards, whether or not the goalkeeper's gloves uh, were impeded as he tried to clear the ball, Crook. Um, He's got to be stronger, though, right? Yeah. um, I think it was less of a foul than the one that we saw in the the Burnley-Luton game a few weeks back, and I guess that sort of set the bar for... VAR intervention. So I think you're right. I think the goalkeeper, who actually has, you know, has had a, a decent season, needs to be better. And I think Scott's right. You, you can't argue with the result on the balance of play. Arguably, City should have won by more. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Ange Postacoglu has, has been lauded with so much praise this season for the way that Spurs have been brave in games, the football they've played. Well, here we are, not the end of January, and uh, they've got no chance of winning anything again. So uh, Spurs fans are used to that feeling. I just wonder if we might have gone a little bit too early with the Anne's Postecoglou loving. 
Yeah, well, we did say right at the beginning, you know, just calm down and see what happens over the course of the season. But there's no doubt he's had a positive uh, impact um, as far as uh, Tottenham are concerned. The one thing that Ali McCoy's turned to me and said straight afterwards, actually, was I wonder now whether or not he'll regret playing that weakened team in the League Cup. Um, because, you know, you go back to that game against Fulham, that was there for the taking. He played mm. a, a, a scratch side in that game, not a scratch side, but a reserve side in that game when they'd started the season so well, ended up losing on penalties in the match and as a result of that you know they haven't been able to chase there hasn't been a third piece of silverware to chase and without Europe they could have gone uh, and tried to to scrap for that but then I suppose they'll point to the fact they had so many in- injuries afterwards that it was probably a good thing for them in the end when we look back at Manchester City obviously they've managed to play 10 games now with a, a, our Erling Haaland they've scored 28 goals during that period and are unbeaten <laughs> Scott so um, they haven't exactly missed him have they? No no, he's, uh, they're not bad, are they? You know, and, and they weren't bad without Kevin De Bruyne as well, which again <laughs> shows that you, as, as much as you sort of talk about these world-class players, and these are world-class, no one can argue with the term world-class with these two, they've got such a good squad and such a good mentality that they're able to, even without their best players, still go on and win the game. And look, just on, on Ange, I don't think anyone can blame him losing to Manchester City. Um, I, I do agree the League Cup, he, he might slightly regret that, but it's still massively in the positive considering where they were less than 12 months ago and, and still fighting for fourth place as well. So look, I, I'm still, I don't want to say supportive of Ange being ex-Chelsea and West Ham, but I think he's made a, a massive impact. But yeah, it's another year without without a trophy. The thing about having Kevin De Bruyne back is that he brings you so much creativity, he- Gives you so many opportunities to score a goal. And look, he took the corner, which eventually ended up in the back of the net. Maybe that is not an accident. Maybe it just happened to be this time around. But the one thing he also gives you, and I don't think you noticed this, he, he, he comes on, he, he's horrible, right? He, he is horrible. So he comes on and he chases the ball into the bottom right-hand corner with Mickey van der Ven. And he really gets up for it and he gives the linesman a little bit and he gives the referee a little bit and he gives Mickey van der Ven a little bit, gives him a few words in his ears and he's encouraged by the, the Man City fans behind the goal. And I remember speaking to him ages and ages ago, maybe 18 months ago, and uh, it, I said to him, you know, sometimes you do get a little bit feisty when you're on the pitch. And he goes, I know, it's embarrassing, isn't it? He said, but I can't <laughs> help it. Uh, he said, I'm, I'm, really, I'm, I'm really a competitive guy. Like, even when I'm playing with my kids sometimes, I won't ever let them win. I can't let them win anything. I get really into it. And I, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's like a penalty shoot out in the garden, or we're playing Ludo, or we're playing a game on the PlayStation, I have to win. And I get really sort of, I have like this fire inside me. He said, when I'm off the field or I'm not playing games of any sort, I'm actually quite a nice bloke. He said, but I am. I'm really horrible when I'm on the pitch. And I don't, and I don't know why I can't control it. I've always been like it. And I thought, you know, you sort of need that, I think, if you're going to be a top, top player. Do you know what, Sam? Um, I played with Mark Hughes at, at Chelsea and very quiet off the field. When we were travelling, he'd sit at the front of the bus. Wouldn't really sort of get involved as such. But, I mean, we were still like, wow, this is Mark Hughes at, at Chelsea. But when he was on the pitch, my goodness me. I mean, Crookie can, can testify that how good he was for United. Um, and he was pretty much the same for Chelsea as well. One of the most aggressive people. that He just don't want to play against yeah. his dad is in his side. Kevin De Bruyne doesn't want to change. He shouldn't. He shouldn't because it's making him the world-class player he is. Okay, um, so a few positives there. So let's turn to the negatives. New Park County 2, Manchester United 4. 
And uh, Manchester United got the job done in the end, but I'm I'm just leaving it at that. They got the job done because they struggled to get past Newport. Really, I mean, it was it's quite frankly. I mean, the fact is, is that at one point someone said, uh, "Was it like I think what what my kids are Manchester United fan? He was wearing his Manchester United kit, the white one. He's saying, look, look, oh look, they're they're wearing the same kit as me, Dad. I was like, I don't know if you'll be telling everybody that. Um, (laughs) The the, uh, <laughs> they scored the third goal and he was like when they scored the second goal it was a really good goal by the way Newport and he was really disappointed I was like that, that is a brilliant goal and he's like Ugh. anyway but then the third goal went in and he relaxed a little bit and like okay fine but I was like you know they're 16th in league two fella and <laughs> they haven't had a chairman all season they haven't had a CEO all season they've got no budget and 1.5 million pound black hole yet they are taking it to you. And it's not like it was a scratch Manchester United side, Crook. It was it, w- it was pretty embarrassing, I thought. Um, but more embarrassing and more concerning than anything else is the absence of Marcus Rashford, who was left out of the squad for this game. Now, he was pictured in a Belfast nightclub the night before a training session. They first of all told us that it was, I don't know if they told us or his camp told us that it was the night before, but it wasn't. And there's timestamp photographs to prove that it wasn't. Um, he was in a nightclub the night before he was supposed to be training. He flew back on a private jet and then was too ill to train and didn't make the trip to Newport. I mean, I don't know which one of you wants to go first, but that smacks as a, as a kid that's got some serious work to do on themselves. Well, first of all, it's a, it's a PR car crash uh, to come out and, and try and lie about it. Uh, and claim the, the images were 24 hours earlier than they are is 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 unforgivable, really. And, and even before the game, we get the briefing from Manchester United that, that Marcus is is too ill to travel. Just stop lying. You know, he, he's been caught red-handed. Ten Hag has come out and, and actually <laughs> gone against the face of the club statement and said it's an internal matter, I'm dealing with it. I think Marcus Rashford now is at a turning point of his career. It's a sliding doors moment in his career. Either he learns from this mistake, and I don't think this is his first misdemeanor by any stretch of the imagination, or he goes down a very slippery path, which will result in him not fulfilling the talent that he has. I think it's quite sad, actually, um, that someone with his natural ability representing the club that he claims to have supported since he was a boy is, is almost laughing in the face of the fans that he claims to be one He's laughing in the face of his teammates. He's laughing in the face of his manager. If he thinks it's acceptable to go out partying in a different country the night before you're due at training, then I think he has to take a long, hard look at his, his life choices. And as I say, I don't think this is a one-off. It's not a coincidence that Marcus Rashford's form since last season has towed off so badly. He's not become that bad a footballer overnight. So clearly he's, he's not making the right decisions off the pitch and he needs somebody close to him who's got his best interests at heart to get him back on track because at the moment he's wasting his talent. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like that because um, we can all pretend and sit here and say that, uh, you know, we think it was the, a, a one-off and, a, and an indiscretion, but I think we all know that, that isn't the case and that is that is probably at the heart of the problem here. And listen, I think it's been going on for too long, Scott. I think someone inside that club now has got to grab hold of the situation and sort it out because otherwise... He is not going to fulfil his potential. I mean, he hasn't been fulfilling his potential over the course of the last 
a year or so. So, you know, the Manchester United, they've got a major asset here. They gave him a huge contract. They've got to manage that talent properly. And you know, he's got to stand up and be counted himself and realise what he's got because, you know, he, that, this is an unacceptable turn of events. No, absolutely. Back in my day, it was a bonboni on a Wednesday night rather than uh, flying to Belfast in a, in a private jet. But that was in the but it 90s. it was a Wednesday, um, not a Thursday. It was a Wednesday, although it was a Sunday game. Um, no, look, you know, the, the, the game's moved on a lot since then. And Marcus Rashford is a superstar. You know, he's a Manchester United superstar. He's an England superstar. He's on big, big money that's expected now to help be one of the leaders for Manchester United to take them back to where they are. He's a Manchester-born kid. You know, he should be feeling for this club more than anyone else and feeling for the fans. He's a fan himself. But is he? Is he acting like one? Or has he become a prima donna? You know, and, and I think, you know, we talked about his goals last season. You know, I mentioned at the end of the season, well, you can't rely on his goals because he is a player that, that actually goes in streaks. Even last season, the amount of numbers over the whole season was great, but it was actually in streaks. But the, the, the bigger picture here, as you just touched on, both of you have really, is, is what's going on inside his head. Does he feel like he can do whatever he wants? Does he feel like he's too big for Manchester United? And Eric Ten Hag, for you know, all his failures, he's perhaps not the little ball genius anymore, but you know, he is trying to do the right thing. He needs support. He needs support from the club. And he actually needs support for Marcus Rashford's family and, and agents as well. You know, they need to get around him and start telling him, listen, you know, you need to be a, I hate the sort of the term role model because I personally don't think footballers should be role models, but he is and, and, and they are. And we have to accept that. So how he leads his life off the pitch, whether he was drinking or whether he wasn't, you know, is not the right thing to do. So there's no doubt about it. He's at the crossroads of his career. Um, it will be interesting to see what Manchester United do. If he wasn't worth so much, they would get rid. But I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen between now and the end of the season and in the summer as well, if his form continues to how it's been all season. Yeah, I, I think his agent and his family are one of the same things, which is it's sometimes a really good thing. And sometimes it, it does mean that you can be a little bit too close to it. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not that, that that continues, but someone's got to step in and do something because otherwise we're going to be in a situation where you've got an incredibly talented England footballer, an incredibly talented Manchester United footballer that doesn't end up delivering what he should do. The other issue you've got here is if Marcus Rashford has been getting away with this sort of behaviour over the course of the last year or so, you've got Jaden Sancho turns up late for one meeting and ends up being expelled and sent to Dortmund. You've got other players that are looking at him and thinking, well, if he can do it, then I can get away with it. And then sometimes that can spread. That behaviour sort of becomes almost like, not the norm, but like you know, there's other people try to get away with other things and the discipline within the group actually goes crook. Yeah, and actually it's a really good point you've made because when people close to Jaden Sancho were suggesting that he feels that he has been victimised when players who perhaps are, are not performing or, or not conducting themselves in the best way are being given preferential treatment, we all assume that they were directing that towards Anthony. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they were directing it towards Marcus Rashford. I've got to say, he can't turn around and say he's not had the support of Eric Ten Hag. Ten Hag has been more lenient with Rashford uh, than he would have been with any other player and then and more lenient than a lot of Premier League managers would have been. But that lack of discipline is not just off the pitch, it's on the pitch as well. Because Bruno's, Bruno Fernandes was right what he said after the game. They go 2-0 up, they're coasting against a, a League Two side. They think they can start to take liberties. 
Ganacho in particular seemed desperate to score a goal at all costs when actually if he had better decision making, he could have teed up his teammates to put United three or four up before Newport even got that goal to get them back in the game. Anthony was the same. So that lack of discipline that we've seen from Rashford off the pitch, I think often uh, also takes place on the pitch, particularly with those young players like Ganacho, who will be influenced by what Marcus Rashford is doing. Absolutely. And that's a big problem, I think. Manchester United are through to the next round of the competition. Who have they got in the next round? They've got, they got another easy home draw. Bristol City or Forest away. Oh, that's going to be a tough one because Bristol City are very, very good at home and Nottingham Forest. Well, let's see if they get through. But if Bristol City get through, that would be a hell of a day done at Ashton Gray. Um, let's uh, move on to the other action from the weekend starting on Saturday and a big game at Portman Road. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. The FA Cup remains the oldest and greatest domestic cup competition and it's this sort of fixture that proves exactly why. Reynolds is clear, he's dinked it over the keeper, he's scored! An incredible FA Cup goal for Maidstone United! Wow, it's taken them 42 minutes to have a shot on the Ipswich goal, but what a finish. Sarmiento's in the box of Kola, it's in! Sarmiento finds the near corner and Maidstone's resistance is finally broken. Davis with another great delivery, Chaplin! What a save by Kovalan! Caught into the penalty area, they've scored again! Sam Korn puts Maidstone United back in front. The FA Cup is casting its magical spell over magical Maidstone United. Special FA Cup moment. As the final whistle is blown! The greatest day in the history of Maidstone United. FA Cup heroes, one and all. Ipswich 1, Maidstone 2. Wow. I mean, this is a perfect example of why the FA Cup is still the, the competition that it is. It's, it's, it's a great situation where this couldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen anywhere else. But it does happen in the FA Cup. Maidstone of the sixth tier, um, taking on second tier Ipswich and beating them on their own patch. I mean, it was not the greatest game of quality, Scott, but it was a very, it was an exciting game for for the reasons outlined, which was, you know, 
I don't know how they did it, really, to be honest with you. I think they got... <laughs> I, I really don't. I mean, even watching the game, I was like, how, how are they in this situation? It's, it's great. And, and what a fantastic situation they've got themselves in. They've got the opportunity to see a Sheffield Wednesday or Coventry next in order to maybe even get through to a quarterfinal of the FA Cup. Absolutely. And with the greatest respect to them, if you can go to Portman Road and Ipswich, seconds in the, the championship, then why can't you go to one of those two and, and go through to the quarterfinals? Who knows? I mean, I was listening to it on the way to the Valley. I was covering the Charlton game for, for Charlton, but I listened to Joe Shannon and Matt Holland. And, you know, they were saying this could be 5 nil within 15 minutes quite easily. So, you know, Ipswich have only got themselves to blame. And again, looking at the stats, 78% possession, 38 shots to two. 13 on target to two. So you can certainly say Maidstone, Maidstone were clinical and Ipswich weren't, but forget the stats. This is all about the FA Cup. This is all what we want. And and we spoke about it last week, didn't we, that really Ipswich would prefer not probably not to be in the FA Cup, but you can't afford to lose to a six-tier uh, team. And yet that's exactly what they've done. But look, fair play to, uh, fair enough to say that Kieran McKenna's got enough credit in the bank to say it doesn't really matter and they, they can crack on with the championship now. But for George Elokobi, this is just brilliant. Uh, the, the magic goes on. And George was brilliant afterwards, wasn't he? Like, it was brilliant afterwards in the last round. And he was, he's been very sort of um, accessible over the course of this entire run. And he's a brilliant like orator. I think he's, he's fantastic, really. And he's a good bloke. Um, but... Um, the one thing about the FA Cup, I don't know how you can level the playing field like this in this competition. And yet, I, I I know Ipswich made changes. I saw that, but there was an opportunity here for one or two of those players, especially Nathan Broadhead, for example, right, to to audition for a place in the team because Hurst has picked up an injury. They need a focal point. Broadhead goes and plays up front, and yet there was one moment, especially towards the end, where the corner comes in. Broadhead tries to get up and glance it on because there's a great opportunity. And he heads the ball just up in the air. And you just think, this is your chance. This is this is your spotlight. What is it? Mm. that Does it get to you? Is it like a, do you think it's like the, the, the sort of the fact that the cameras are there and that all eyes are on you? Is it that fear that you could be the victims of the, the FA Cup shock of this season? I don't know. But something paralyzes players, I think, sometimes in this competition. And I think it must be that sort of trepidation that you're going to be on the back pages for the wrong reasons. I think fear comes into it. I mean, if you look at that United-Newport game, once they got back to 2-2, there was a 10-minute spell when Newport really were the dominant force and the United players looked absolutely mm. petrified that yeah. they could be on the back pages for all the wrong reasons. And, it's, and it was the same at, at Portman Road. I, I do think it was smash and grab from Maidstone. If this game gets played 100 times, probably 97 times out of 100, Ipswich take those chances and they win. But... Credit to them, as you say, George Alicobi's been brilliant. I thought the uh, the scenes on the team coach as they joined the, the guys on the phone in on Saturday night w- was brilliant as well and what the FA Cup is is all about. I think they'll be slightly disappointed, Newport, that they've got all the way to the round of 16 and they haven't got that draw against a Premier League club. Yes, it's great to go to Portman Road, uh, Ipswich, obviously, former cup winners. It'll be great if they can go to Hillsborough or if they play Coventry again, former cup winners, but you feel for them because they deserve one opportunity at least to take on a Premier League side and get that big draw. Yeah, Maidstone will be a little bit disappointed that they haven't got um, a trip to Old Trafford or to the Etihad. But I think at the same time, you know, there is uh, in the back of your mind, this, by the way, the CBS Arena is a really nice stadium to go to, by the way. Certain Hillsborough is historic. Um, if, so, if, if you're a fan of having a cinema in the concourse. <laughs> what's wrong with you? You mean, kill two birds, one stone. Go and see poor things in the morning, <laughs> and then go and see uh, 
um, great things in the afternoon. <laughs> I think the CBS Arena is one of the most soulless grounds in the country. I'm sorry. It's not doesn't do it for me. I'm sorry, well, Coventry fans. Okay. So, you know, right, we'll wow. On. Didn't expect that from Crookie, I must and admit. That, you know, didn't, know you, didn't know you hated Cov so much, but... Fair enough. Um, <laughs> Maidstone won't mind. Um, Fulham against Newcastle uh, finished 2-0 in favour of Eddie Howe's team. They're still on course for a trophy, which is good. I think they needed that. And they've got a, a draw uh, away at either Blackburn or Wrexham. That game hasn't been sorted yet. I'm doing that on Monday night, uh, which is a great draw. Listen, if it's Wrexham, it's a Collywood draw. If it's Blackburn, it's, it's going to be a, 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 a you know a tussle at Ewood Park. Um but let's talk about Fulham, Scott, because it's been a bad week at the office for them. They've gone out of two comp- competitions in the same week. We were we were there. It was a, it was a good game. Fulham did well actually to come back into it when we thought they might uh, crumble after conceding the early goal. But um, to go out of two competitions in a week, did, did he did he make a mistake by making so many changes? No, I must admit I do feel he needed to make some changes. Um, that you know we were there at the cottage as you say and I thought that you know they were unlucky in the end and they had Liverpool on the, on the back foot Liverpool ended up being a 5-4-1 formation mm. and that takes a lot out of you mentally and, and physically so I did sort of say and, and again we talked about it on the pod didn't we and, and Crookie and I thought that Newcastle would go on and win this Pure, I mean for me purely on the physical level Fulham haven't got a deep enough squads to make lots of changes and then crack on again but if they'd have played the same players then I, I still I don't think that, that it would have been the same sort of performance level that you saw in the second half at, at, co- at the cottage against Liverpool. So I, I think they're always going to struggle in this game. And I think that the fact that Newcastle and how much they want to win a trophy, I'm really pleased for Eddie Howe. I think he's um I think what we're seeing now is what he's up against from a financial point of view. It's not the richest club in the world. They are having to deal with FFP. They are having to sell before they buy. So, you know, lay off him a little bit. So for him to go into the next round, much as I like Fulham as a club, I'm really pleased for Newcastle that they are in the next round of that. And uh, it was a very good win in the end. Gonna say that I thought that actually Fulham were the better team for large parts of this game. Um, I thought that Newcastle did well on the counter attack and took their chances well, but actually for a, for 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 a long time in the match, it was just about Fulham not being able to find the back of the net, which has been a problem for them over the course of the season. They score in rashes. I've mentioned it a load of times when we've done Fulham commentaries. They scored sixteen goals over four games at the end of November, beginning of December. But apart from that. Goals have been few and far between. Um, Crook Newcastle and, and the PRS stuff or the PSR stuff um, has, uh, has sort of come up time and time and again over the last week or so. Where are we with that? And it, is it still likely that they're going to have to sell one of the crown jewels during this period? Because a lot of talk about Callum Wilson. I mean, to me, if Callum Wilson is available for 18 million quid, right, and I'm Chelsea or I'm another club that, that, that needs a striker, even West if you get 18 months out of him, I mean, that's a that's a fantastic deal, I think. Yeah, and Eddie Howe did leave it open-ended, didn't he, when he was asked about the, the future of certain players uh, before this game. He was pretty staunch that Trippier wouldn't be going anywhere, wants to keep Almer on, uh, and ideally would like to keep Callum Wilson, but did say, you know, we're in a situation where if, if somebody comes in with a bid, then we are susceptible to it. And uh, I think Callum possibly is, is looking at, at one last big transfer, 31 years of age now. Um, there's been talk of Saudi Arabia, although I know when he was approached in the summer, he wasn't particularly keen on that. I can see West Ham uh, because there's a strong connection between the people who represent Callum Wilson and that particular football club. So I think that's one to, to keep an eye on between now and Thursday. 
Okay. Uh, we've only got a few days to do uh, to go before we have the transfer window close again, and it's been probably the easiest month of work that you've had, right? <laughs> well, I'm off to Plumpton Races today, uh, so that that probably tells you I'm not expecting too much to happen. Do you know what, Sam? I was with him at the bridge on Friday night, and actually said, you know, is your golf handicap improved because you have hardly <laughs> had to work this month, have you? So interested in doing the races today. It's amazing, isn't it? And we, 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 look, we talked about it ages ago. We said that this would happen, that there would be a sort of deflation in the market because of the, the, the PSR, but also because of the fact that nobody else in Europe plays money like we play, and eventually that has got to come to an end. And people, you know, even uh, Infantino and Seferin are all talking about it now, deflation of wages, deflation of transfer fees. They want to bring everything under a sustainable umbrella. So... It'll be fascinating to see what happens over the course of the next few years because what they think they're trying desperately to do is level everybody up. Not sure the Premier League will be too happy about that. Um, talking about not happy, Everton fans won't be too happy about this. Everton won Luton too. I know they'll be concentrating more on staying in the Premier League, both of them really. But I mean, I do feel like Everton have just gone into a little bit of a tough period here where form has really dipped, and although they're in a relatively strong position they think they might get a couple of points back or whatever and they've put some points on the board they're certainly in better overall form they've won more games obviously than those down the bottom of the table it, psychologically the closer you get the more things start to go against you you start to worry about that 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 drop won't you yeah it felt like a real sucker punch and, and i heard the everton fans uh, calling up Talk Sport at the weekend, not at all happy. Uh, not happy with the Premier League for what they see as tardiness in approving the seven-seven-seven sport takeover, and they weren't happy with Sean Dyche for the way that he set the team out, and obviously weren't happy that they've been knocked out the FA Cup. Another football club, big football club, historically starved of success. Nineteen ninety-five, last time they won anything meaningful under Joe Royal, and also psychologically to get beat at home by a team that you're in direct competition with to stay in the Premier League, I think that could have a knock-on effect as well. So I worry for Everton in the yeah, second make, half of the season. It makes really a do. difference that, doesn't it? It just sort of sends a message that you sort of <laughs> yeah, that you don't want. It's the idea of going home, trying to sort of entertain your fans. Look, we can get through to the FA Cup fifth round. They haven't really... It's not like they've got loads and loads of games to play, Everton. I mean, it's it's one a week, isn't it, between now and the end of the season, really, with a couple of midweek adventures, this one being one, and then the one in the beginning of April. Um, so the idea of playing in the FA Cup surely has got to be attractive to to a club like that. And I just felt like sometimes even, I mean, I know they went for it towards the end and they put a lot of pressure on Luton but didn't get the goal. It's just, a, again, it's deflating, isn't it, for those supporters who have had so much that they've had to overcome this season. Uh, a good day for Brighton away at Sheffield United. They won by five goals to two and they played some sensational football as well during the course of this game. I mean, if you look at some of the, the moves that led up to the goals, penalty, the, the first goal, I mean, just, just looking at the way that they, they moved the football around, it was it was excellent from Brighton. And Jao Pedro scoring a hat-trick again, looking like a superstar forward, Scott. I mean, they've got a real gem on it on their hands here. Well, they have. And, you know, in Brighton's terms, they spent a lot of money. What was it, Crookie? 30 million, something like that? Um mm. But he's well worth every penny the way he is at the moment. He certainly knows how to take a penalty, doesn't he? He's calm as you like. Um, and, and nice for him to score a goal in open play. But I think his general play 
is very, very good. He slips into that Brighton philosophy excellently. I mean, the Brennan Otter goal was, was, was incredible. And this was Brighton at their very, bre- very best. You know, you talk about Sheffield United and, and we all think that they'll go down. Massive game for them on Tuesday against Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. So I don't think necessarily Chrissy Wilder would be overly bothered about getting knocked out, but you don't want to be conceding five goals. And the fact that they got back into it, I think he will be disappointed they didn't go on and win it. But for Brighton, absolutely. Love watching them play. And in this form, they can trouble anybody in the Premier League. Yeah, and maybe trouble anybody in the FA Cup because they've got a good draw in the next round of the competition as well. So um, I think they've got Wolverhampton Wanderers away. They'll absolutely love that. They beat them there 4-1 earlier in the season. Uh, and um, although it was a nil-nil draw on Monday when I was down at the Amex Stadium, I think you know they'll, they'll, I think they prefer better games like that than they do playing against lower league side because it allows them to sort of get the juices flowing and play their fast-flowing football. Um, we'll see what happens there. On to the rest of Sunday now, and we start at the Hawthorns. Well, there's some crowd trouble away to our left-hand side now, and there are fans spilling onto the running track everyone should be able to come to a football match and feel safe you know there's young children and maybe elderly people and come into football matches and they shouldn't have to be involved in things like that possible there were Wolverhampton Wanderer supporters in there celebrating the second goal very quickly things got very ugly yes it happened in one area where they were the families of some of our players and that's why the people was worried about the safe what a shameful image for football English football and the scenes around the world will be children in tears we've literally just seen a gentleman be arrested and taken across the pitch and out he's got a bloodied head with a, a patch on it such a horrific look for english football and for west bromwich albion the fa has called the disorder completely unacceptable and goes on to say the behavior of those involved is dangerous and inexcusable i think there's over 100 policemen there the stewards are also supporting them and it's a similar situation at the other end of the ground now. So it's just really disappointing that some of it's been spoiled by um, what happened in the, in the stands. So the Black Country bragging rights are for Wolves, but no one can really brag on what's been a dark day for English football. But sadly, this is a day which will not be remembered for the goals, the result or the football. I was there, I was commentating and um, it was it was really sad, really, because, I mean, it wasn't a great game of football. I, you know, with 77 minutes of, it was quite sort of controlled from, from Wolves. They sort of plotted a course through it. I think they were trying to take the sting out of the game and then hit when they could. They didn't move the ball fast enough. West Brom certainly didn't move the ball fast enough uh, and didn't really create any meaningful opportunities. Pedro Neto's goal, I think, is terrific. I thought that Cunha's finish is good, but you know you shouldn't really get in that easily in behind uh, the two centre-backs. But then you have the overspill. And I think it came about from frustration from the West Brom fans that they really didn't lay a glove on Wolves over the course of the game. But they are scenes that we thought were eradicated from this, this country. Yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible watching on, on television. Um, and then when you guys went back to the studio, I turned on Talk Sport and... I had to say, I think Nigel Adley, Dean Ashton and, and Faye did a brilliant job of, of conveying what were very disturbing scenes. You know, you get a situation where kids are being plucked from the stand, including 
kids of players in the case of Carl Bartley. And uh, you just can't condone that. And, and actually, what was most alarming to me, I, I called it out in quite strong terms on social media. And the number of replies I had from fans saying, oh, it's a derby. What did you expect? Like, it's all part of the fun. That that appalled me as well, because anybody who condones that kind of action, those kind of scenes, is not a proper football fan. And he's just a moron, to be honest. And, um, you know, I feel for anybody who was innocently caught up in it. And uh, it's just not what you want to see. You understand now why the police kicked off the game at 11.45 in the morning. Maybe they should have kicked it off at 7.45 in the morning. But anybody who was involved in it, you're an absolute disgrace to football and a disgrace to your club. Yeah, I it was it was it listen it was it was disturbing and there's no doubt about it. And there, I spotted a a kid who was taken out of the crowd by I think it was his, I thought at the time it was his dad, and he just walked straight out of that melee and onto the pitch. And last night I got a message on Instagram, and it was from that guy, and he said, "Look, I, I I've watched back the footage from today, and I've seen that you were talking about what I think is my kid and me." He said. I just thought taking him onto the pitch was the safest place to go. He's all good, thank you. He's a little shaken at the time. But by the time the players came out later on to see them and take photos, people, he, he was okay. People were just in a blind rage and didn't care that they were jumping on disabled people in wheelchairs, pensioners and kids. You could only see that one lad in the stand. And as you saw, they were running from every stand to try and get him. I know you shouldn't go onto the pitch, but it was the safest place for me to take my kid. And that was uh, from uh, the guy who had to take his little uh, child out onto the pitch because he was worried about what was going on around him. I mean, that in itself sort of tells you everything, doesn't it, Scott? Well, I don't care what you should or shouldn't do. When it comes to something like that, you you do what's right for your family and and for your children especially. So he did do the right thing. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things for me. Uh, You know, I'm hearing that pubs were allowed to be open at six o'clock in the morning. Yep. Um, I don't know why that's the case you know alcohol can fuel and exaggerate behavior um but the bigger one for me is and i I still don't know were there wolves fans in that area in the west prom area and if so how on earth do they get the tickets I, I, i i don't know but the bottom line is absolutely we shouldn't be seeing stuff like this it's back to the dark ages we're not back to the dark ages by the way but with such a a fueled derby that we haven't seen for a long time Everybody needed to be on their toes. And, and it's difficult to talk about it because I still don't know, as I say, the answers to some of the questions. But, you know, it, he did the right thing and it was terrible to see. And well done, by the way, Sam. I was watching it. I thought you handled it really well as well. I, I thought the police reacted really quickly and I thought they got over as quick as they could. But there was just so much fighting, so much fighting between police and uh, supporters. Now, I... I I, I can only guess, and I'd been told beforehand that there was a possibility of Wolves fans being in the, uh, uh, the the home end. And it did look like that was the case because there were people that were being pushed and pulled out. There was at least two that I saw, and I don't know if there's any more than that. that, that, that but then everybody just sort of con- con- like congregated and went to charge at him. It was strange. That was the family section of the ground as well. Which was really embarrassing. I mean, can you imagine if you're you know, if you're a long-standing West Brom fan, and you see one or two people from the opposing club in your family stand, and you decide that that's a good idea to trample over everybody to try and get to them. You know, just have a look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself: Is that really what you should be doing? Not sure it is. You know, I think mean, it's a bit unacceptable to think that that, that 
that just because, I mean, okay, he got into the wrong end. There's a bloke in the wrong end. He's bought a ticket. Shouldn't do it. Get him out. Throw him out. That's it. That's the end of it. At the end of the day, you don't, there's, there's no need for it to, to, to burst into what it burst into. And there was a guy who I saw who came out of the crowd at the other end of the ground because it wasn't just at one end. It happened again at the, at the other end. Who came out the, the, the sort of corner of the Smethwick end and he had, he was bald-headed, big guy, was being taken away, I think, by police. The paramedics might have been there as well. But he had blood streaming from his head. It's like, come on. You know, and you're right about the pubs thing, all right? We can all sort of laugh and joke about it. And I sort of almost made a joke about it during the course of the commentary. You know, the atmosphere was great and whatever. And I said, well, that's what happens if you open the pubs at 5.30. But if you're going to kick off a game at 11.45 and people still can't behave, well, actually, you can't allow anything to open before no. it's supposed to. You can't do it because otherwise we get scenes like this. And, you know, we're lucky that yesterday all it was was a bit of a skirmish. I think one man ended up in hospital with head injuries. You know, I hope that person is okay. Um, but it could have been worse than that. It could have been worse than that. You know, and the police have had to deal with stuff that they didn't want to deal with. The game was delayed for 38 minutes. I mean, it was just, it, it is, I'm sorry. And the crook is absolutely right when he turns around and says those the responses that I got, I mean, I, you know, some of the stuff that I got sent to me afterwards was as, as if it, we should expect this to happen and we should just mm. almost sort of be voyeurs and, and, and watch it and enjoy it. And it's like, that's a very strange way. I mean, it is 2024. Anyway, uh, we'll move on. Uh, Liverpool 5, Norwich 2, a game filled with action and probably more importantly, goals. Darwin Nunez. Scored a terrific goal, Scott. What do you want to say about his performance? He was, he was, it was good. He's been good twice this week. I don't need to speak about him. His his performances and his finishes <laughs> are speaking on on my behalf. Look again, you know, I I, I see the talent there, and I haven't heard yet an ex-pro giving him a lot of stick, apart from being able to be clinical, more clinical, and stick the ball in the back of the net a bit better. Um, he would be a nightmare to play against. He's big, he's strong, he can run the channels, he can uh, be skillful, he can come out to the left and, and cut inside on his right. Um, so, yeah, listen, I'm really pleased he's doing well for Liverpool. Um, what I would say is I was really impressed with James McConnell. You know, this was a, you know in the heart of midfield, at Anfield, and for him to be bossing the game in the way that he did, I think he's, you know, there's another star there and we, you know, Jurgen Klopp leaving, well, I, I actually think, I'd be interested to see what Crookie thinks, I think he's leaving Liverpool in a better place than Fergie left uh, United. So we'll have to wait and see what who the next Liverpool manager is. But Conor Bradley, another great performance. You and I touched on the fact of, is he the man to allow Trent to go into midfield? Well, if he carries on playing like this, he might be that man to do just that. I love the fact that uh, after sitting on his phone trying to find a transfer story, as soon as you mentioned the word Fergie, his eyes lit up and he <laughs> glared through the camera at you. Um, well, I think I, I talked about Liverpool on the uh, pre-game podcast in which uh, I said that I thought that um, Jurgen Klopp's done a brilliant job in sort of rejuvenating that midfield, adding those attacking talents. I mean, to say that he has left them in a better place than Fergie, I mean, obviously he's going to cause controversy with our learned friend, uh, over there, but um, certainly he has. It looks as if he's been. So, he was determined to rebuild it, I think, rather than leave last summer after a really disappointing season. And he's done that. And he's he's sort of put the, the pieces in place for somebody else then to go and and knock it on further. Um, as far as the announcement was concerned, uh, we haven't really had a chance to talk about it yet, so we probably should now. 
Um, I was really surprised. I, I did say, I think, in the summer that he needed to have a really good season. Otherwise, it might come to an end this year. But I don't think I ever believed that he was going to walk away like this, Crook. No, it was dramatic, wasn't it, in terms of the timing as well. I'm still cynical. I think the reason it's come out now is because a journalist got hold of the story and Liverpool wanted to control the narrative. I mean, you've been waxing lyrical about Liverpool. I still don't think they'll win the league. So I don't think Klopp is going to go out in a blaze of glory like is Fergie that hope did. Or in some ways, well, no expectation. I think City will win the league. Um, but, you know, if he does. It will look better on his CV, you know, winning two Premier League titles in nine years than just the one. I did see a a tweet the other day, you know, Klopp's won one Champions League and one Premier League in nine years. Fergie did that in nine days. So do I think Jurgen Klopp will be remembered in the same way as Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger and Pep Guardiola? I think the answer is no, because I think they probably should have won more trophies than they have. Oh, wow, now, that is he just. Do, do, you know, do you know what? You, you, the only thing I'll say to you here, Crook, is that well, you got to remember context. When he took over the club nine years ago, they hadn't won it mm. but since 1990. They've won. They've they come won very the close under Brendan Rogers. Rogers a couple of seasons before. They, they did. Very they close. close Should have won. They it. never did it. They came close under Gerard Houllier, but they didn't do it. They came close under Rafa Benitez, but they didn't do it. The fact is, is that he got them over the line, which I think is is something that they needed. You know, and he won the Champions League and got to three finals. I mean, he's done he's done a terrific job. I know that um, you know over the course of the last nine years, Manchester United have won more titles than that. Oh uh, uh, no. Um, <laughs> Listen, Scott, we could wax lyric all day about um, Jurgen Klopp, but everybody's done that. I think he he probably is just in need of a break after an intense period working in the Premier League. I think we'll see him again at some point, probably at Germany or or maybe at one of the big clubs in Spain. Yeah, I, I you know, and I think that's a real shame that we might not see him. We probably won't see him again in the Premier League. And and I'm a proud Englishman, and I want an Englishman to 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 be the manager of my country, but I'd be quite happy for Jurgen Klopp to be manager of England. So I hope these Shores haven't seen the last of him. I think he's incredibly charismatic and, as well as playing great football. I think that Fergie didn't come up against the the greatest team I think we've ever seen in English football uh, with Manchester City and Pep Guardiola. Um, but, I, you know, I don't want to detract from what Sir Alex Ferguson had done. Incredible manager. But I think Jurgen Klopp would be up there if Pep Guardiola wasn't around. Mm. Um, Chelsea nil, uh, Aston Villa nil. Uh, Scott, sum it up for me. Not great. Okay. Uh, the replay <laughs> is incoming. That will be, I think, maybe on Wednesday or Thursday of next week. We'll find out uh, today. Later on in the week, we'll bring you a preview to all the weekend's action and we'll look back on what was a, a, a really busy week in the Premier League because there's action Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. So we'll do that Friday morning. So look out for that. Brooks, enjoy your racing today. And the rest of your week off. I know that you know. Usually at this time, it's really busy, but it's January, week off. no one, no one's buying anything. <laughs> he's uh, actually so. got a busy week with the Premier League having a midweek as well. He's just been. Well, we had to me. give him games because he's not doing any transfer news. So you know, <laughs> might as well give him something to do. All <laughs> right, we'll see you Friday. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides. We've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 
18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 